You're listening to a leadership message from Pastor Jurgen Matesius here at Awaken Church. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. Come with me in, in your Bibles. Uh, I think the first word we're going to read is Proverbs 24, verse 6. I, I really felt bouncing around in my head so many different thoughts, but today I want to speak a little bit about the Word of the Lord and this message, this could have had a hundred different titles. It could have been word warriors, word dispensers, word watchers, but I just want to talk about the word of the Lord. So uh, Proverbs 24 verse 6, Proverbs 24 verse 6 says, uh, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. By wise counsel you will wage your own war. This, this side of heaven, we will experience warfare. In the book of Revelation, it, it says, uh, now the, the dragon and his angels fought, and Michael and the angels fought back. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven any longer, so they were cast down to the earth. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell therein, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, which is us. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, and he is filled with fury, or another translation, he is filled with wrath, for he knows he has a little time, or he knows that his time is short. So we have a very, very ticked-off, cornered animal and they only get dangerous when they're cornered. He is cornered because he knows that the sand is running out of the hourglass. And so in, in a rage and a fury, but he's come down to us. Now, he hasn't come down to us and God has abandoned us and like, hey, I just kicked the can down the street. You know, I couldn't deal with him up here. So I thought maybe you guys, God has given us authority. The Bible says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet. God will soon crush Satan under your feet. So if you want to know where does the devil belong on this planet, just look at the bottom of your shoe. Just go, uh-huh. Oh, there, there's your devil. Hey, devil, devil, here's your place right here. Get back, get back, get back under there. So the Bible says by, by wise counsel wage war. In this life, everything will have a war attached to it. It, 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 this side of eternity, there is a devil, there are demonic forces, there is a spirit of this world, and then the, there's the spirit of God. We, we are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The, the Bible says, you know, come out from among them and be ye separate or be ye holy. That there is a spirit in this world, and, and what is very, very scary and dangerous is when that spirit in this world gets into the church gets into the church and so we we start mimicking we start parroting the, the the same narrative the same vernacular the same words as the world we need diversity training we need no 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 the, the gospel is the greatest trade change agent the, the the gospel doesn't need an assistant the gospel doesn't need an assistant. The, the, the great 
him, Amazing Grace, was written by a man called John Newton, who was a slave trader. And on an encounter with God, sparing his life, he fell to his knees, walked away from all of his ships, walked away from that trade, raised up a man by the name of William Wilberforce, who it took almost 30 years, but again and again and again in Parliament in England, overthrew and ended the slave trade throughout the United Kingdom and the British Empire because of the gospel. The gospel changes human hearts. The gospel changes human lives. There is, there is no greater power in the universe. The apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation. Can somebody say amen? So I just want you to know that whether it's buying a building, whether it's holding a relationship, whether it's friendships, whatever you're engaged in, business, finance, titles, taking territory, whatever area you will face warfare, you're going to face warfare, you're going to face resistance. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The word adversary literally means one who actively opposes. You have someone who is actively opposing you. The Bible says that he who breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. So there's two, two, two options now. Either A, just forget it. Why don't we just kind of contain, bring everything in. Let's just be happy with this and let's not break through any more walls because I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to be bitten by a serpent. That's, that's, that's option A. Can I tell you, we don't do option A around here. Option B is break through the wall, be bitten by the serpent. But I'm not sure if you read the book of Acts. But in the book of Acts, Paul is shipwrecked. He's on the, uh, an island off Malta, and they're gathering sticks. And as he puts the sticks over the fire, in amongst the sticks is a, is a snake, is a serpent. And it reaches out and it bites him on the wrist. And the, the natives say, see, this man may have cheated the storm, but he hasn't cheated the gods. He must be guilty of murder because judgment is caught up to him. Justice is caught up to him. He's about to die. But the Bible says that Paul just shook the serpent off into the flames. Three hours later, when he hadn't puffed up and keeled over and died, they said, this man must be a god because that was a poisonous snake and the poison has no effect over him. Jesus says, you will take up serpents and they will not by any means harm you. So I want you to understand that, 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 that every time we have taken ground, Every year when it came to vision builders for the first seven years, the, the, the spiritual warfare that would come back at Leanne and I, that would come back at our family, was to tell us, oh, you want to break through this wall? There is a serpent waiting to bite you and infect you. But the scriptures tell me that, the, that I have authority over all, I'll trample scorpions under my feet that no weapon of the enemy, nothing shall by any means harm you. So all you got to do is just shake it off. Someone just say, shake it off. 
So there are, there are going to be times, there are going to be times where you're going to, to break through walls. There are going to be times where you're taking territory, where you will be bitten by a serpent, where the enemy will come and he'll attack your marriage, he'll attack your finance, attack your family, attack your health or whatever. But do not get fearful and do not retreat and say, well, that's the last time I break through a wall. Understand, just shake it off into the fire. Just shake it off into the fire. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power of God annuls the poison of the enemy. So, so we, we are not of those who shrink back. Does, it, does that make sense? So now go to uh, Ecclesiastes 8 verse 4. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 4, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, where, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who can say to him, what are you doing? Where the word of a king is, there is power. Now, how many people know that Jesus is a king? On the cross, they put a title above his head, King of the Jews. But the Bible says that he is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the world. He's the, he's the king of kings. So when, when his word is present... There is power in his word. And who, who can say to him, what are you doing? Where the word of a king is. The, the, the word of a king is the final authority. The difference between a kingdom and a democracy is in a kingdom, there's only one voter. In a kingdom, you and I don't get to vote. The king votes. And whatever the king votes, that's what happens. In a democracy, we all get to vote, not in a kingdom. In a kingdom, all the authority is in the king and whatever the king says. So the king over the earth is the Lord. But there was another one who snuck in when that king gave keys to his son in the Garden of Eden. And the king gave instruction to his son. He gave commission to his son. He gave mission to his son. He gave dominion to his son. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth subdue it, exercise dominion, fruitful, multiply. And then he says to him, of all the trees, you may freely eat except that tree. That tree is important to you, son, because for you to have authority, you must remain under authority. Therefore, I must have something in your midst. I must have something in your reach that you're to tend, that you're to nurture, that you're to water, that you're to be a caretaker of, that you're not to be a partaker of. In this life, the Lord will test you. Can he bring to you things in your world that you're to nurture, that you're to take care of, but you're not allowed to eat from? The first of that is the tithe. The first of that is the tithe. The, the, the very, very first test is, is can you recognize in your garden of income, in your garden of increase, in your garden that the first tenth I'm not to consume, I'm not to eat, that this belongs to the Lord. Because if you can't get that right, if Adam couldn't get that right in Eden, the whole, everything's messed up. And if we can't get that right there, everything's out of whack. That's why every week we teach on the tithe. The tithe is, is powerful because whenever, when, whenever I bring my tithe, I declare that I'm not the king, that he is the king 
and I am the king's son under his authority. Every time I bring the tithe, I declare that I'm in submission. I honor the king of kings, and I'm in submission. The centurion said to Jesus, you don't even need to come under my roof, but like you, I too am a man under authority. Because I'm under authority, I can say to this one, go, and he goes. And I can say to this one, come, and he comes. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. When, when, when you tithe, you come under authority. A king has two responsibilities, protection and provision. That's why the Bible says, bring the tithe and test me, says the Lord. Check it out, he's saying. This is what you'll experience. I will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing there's not room enough to contain it, provision, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, protection. The devil knows that if you submitted to God, defeat him every time. But if he can get you disconnected from God, he can bring, he can open a can of whoop. The Bible says, how many people know the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee? But you know that that's not the verse. The verse says, first, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So a lot of people doing a lot of resisting. And all that they accomplish is they get hoarse in their throat. They get tired and fatigued. And then they become despondent in their heart because ain't nothing happening. But really, you've got to go back. Are you out of alignment? with God's word. Once you're in submission to God, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me just go down a controversial road. So in, in Genesis 3, the serpent says, more cunning than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, has the Lord really said, or has God really said, well, you wouldn't call him the Lord. He says, has has Elohim really said that you can't eat off any of the trees? She says, well, actually, um, he said that we can eat off all the trees except that one. That one belongs to him. We can't eat it, but we can't even touch it lest we die. He says, you will not surely die. God knows the day you eat from that tree, you will be just like him, knowing good, and good from evil. The Bible says Eve looks at the tree again, and when she sees the, 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 the fruit is pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. She took and she ate of it and gave to her husband with her. And then the eyes of both of them opened and everything was a mess. When God comes down, he says to Adam, why were you afraid? Why did you become fearful? I didn't create a spirit of fear. But now this rebellion has brought fear into the equation. Fear always distorts your perception. They, they covered themselves, whereas the Lord was their covering. God then went and brought skins and covered the man and the woman. They couldn't, but everything was distorted because of their rebellion. And then God says to Eve, he says, darling, because you have done this, your desire will be for your husband so that he should rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband so that he should rule over you. One of the biggest issues that we have in the church and in the world 
and it's crept into the church. So we won't talk about submission. We won't talk about the man as the head of the home because it sounds misogynist. It sounds so chauvinistic. Oh my gosh, I can't believe like in an age of feminine empowerment, I can't believe like the church, it's so archaic and it's like it's so outdated with like many of its mores and its values. And but 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 the reason that God said this was because God gave the word to Adam. God spoke to Adam. There was no Eve yet. God had not created Eve when God spoke to Adam. God entrusted Adam with his word. Adam then obviously had communicated the word to Eve. He says, darling, of all the trees, God says we can freely eat. But see that one? You can't eat off that one. She's like, but it's so pretty. He's like, no, don't even touch it. Don't. What are you looking at? Look away. Don't even touch it. The day that you touch it, you'll die. Don't just stay away. Because the word that God had put in Adam's mouth, that he then communicated to her, because the violation was not just her trust in, uh, in her husband, but also the word of the Lord coming from God through her husband. Because she violated both of those, God says, okay, because of that, the, the judgment is, darling, there's going to be an insecurity in you because it was his word that was shaping you. When, when the, the rib was taken and Eve was first created and brought to Adam, the first thing Adam did when he looked and he saw her, he said, my God, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, she shall be called woman or womb man, for she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, when God, when Adam called her womb man, he said, she shall be called womb man for she was taken out of me. I, I don't know whether he was prophesying with a level of discernment that God had created her with a womb or whether when he says she shall be called womb man, that a womb was then formed by the his word over her. Remember, this is before sin. That because she was taken out of him, that's what she would be. She, that the first human came out of the man, from then every human has come out of the woman. The woman came out of the man, but after that, she became Eve, for she was the mother of all the living. Because the word was there to form and shape her, God says, darling, because you violated my word in my son's mouth, there's going to be an insecurity in you where you're going to always need affirmation and validation, that you're going to have to come under the covering of the man of God. Now, one of the saddest things that has happened in our culture is we have had men attacked by the enemy so relentlessly that most men are more in touch with their shame, with their disqualifications, with their failures, with their flaws, with their weaknesses, with their brokenness, with their dysfunction. So they've tapped out saying, hey, listen, I'm not qualified to be priest in my home because I read the book of Leviticus and I see all the requirements of a, of a priest. And man, I, I fail nearly on every kid. So, you know, what? I'm just going and I'm going to let the wife 
she's going to take the kids to Sunday school. And I'm going to let the wife, she's going to do bedtime prayers. And I'm going to let the wife, and, and it's all brokenness in the home. What the woman is looking for, she's looking for a husband who will lead in the home to provide a covering that she can come under and find the word of the Lord, the, re, the, the most powerful thing I can do for my bride is continually bring the word of the Lord and continually bring words of life, words of affirmation, prophetic words, words of destiny, words that, that, that reassure, words that reaffirm, words that strengthen, words that encourage, words, words that build up and don't tear down because that's just the way that God has created it. Now, let me just tell you this. There are a lot of men that say, you know, woman, the Bible says you ought to submit. Submission is always going to be a battle if you don't have a mission. Because submission means to come under a mission. If you don't have a mission, now your mission may be an ego-driven, self-exalting mission, but she ain't going to get excited about that. I've never had a problem with Leanne being in submission because I've realized that I need to have a mission that Leanne can see her future, her destiny, her betterment, her elevation, her love, her value in. Submission means you as a husband ought to have a vision and a mission that she can come. Does that make sense on that? All right. So, <clears throat> so then, so, so, so in Genesis 3, everything, everything turns to custard. Satan attacks the word of the Lord. Ha, has, has God really said? Has God really said? And when they, they took from the tr tree and ate, they came under a different word. They come under a different spirit. They come under the devil. So now there is a battle between the word of the Lord and then questioning the word of the Lord. All of our education institutions have not only removed the word of God, but they reject the word of God. They mock the word of God. They, they, have, they have contempt for the word of God. If you say I'm a Bible-believing Christian, all, all the TV programs will try and paint you as some outdated, wet behind the ears, out of touch with reality, But the power that is in the word, the power that is in the word. So the word was attacked in Genesis. So watch what God does. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Because the word was attacked in Genesis, the word became flesh. God put his word as a little tiny seed in a woman because it was a woman and he puts the seed in the woman, and that woman conceives and brings forth Christ, who is the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Jesus, fulfilled the Word to prove that he was the Word. They say for Jesus just to fulfill nine just to fulfill nine of the prophecies that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he would born of a virgin, that he would uh, be of the house of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, but he would grow up in Galilee. Just for him to fulfill nine of the words is the equivalent to filling the entire earth three feet deep with one dollar silver $1 coins, and then you flying in a helicopter, one of them is marked, and you landing at the exact spot randomly and picking it out. 
And Jesus didn't just fulfill nine, he fulfilled thousands because he didn't have to. He didn't wake up in the morning thinking, okay, which words do I fulfill today? He was, he was the confirmation because he was the word everywhere he went. The word was amen. The word was amen. The word was confirming. The word was crucified on a cross because it was first attacked in Eden. So it was crucified on the cross. On the cross, the word was crucified. It, it looked like it died. It looked like the word of the Lord died and it was buried in a tomb. But on, a, on the third day, according to the word of the Lord, the word got up out of the grave, having dealt with sin, having dealt with shame, having dealt with the devil, having dealt with disqualifications, having dealt with sickness, having dealt with disease, having disrupted the principalities and powers, having dethroned them, having removed from them all their power and authority and returning it to Jesus. He rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell, has the keys of death and hell in his right hand, now sits at the right hand of the Father. So our job and our assignment is to bring the word of the Lord is to bring the word of the Lord to, to San Diego. If you say, what is the assignment of Awakened Churches to bring the word of the Lord? What is my assignment? Your assignment is to bring the word of the Lord, to carry the word of the Lord. This, this is kind of my testimony because in, in, uh, when, when I very, very first got saved, the first thing the devil did was he turned all my friends against me, lost all my friends. And this one morning, it's maybe just before 6 a.m. and I'm eating breakfast and going to go, we call it a dawny. It's a at dawn, you go for a surf, so we call it a dawny in Australia because we just put a Y or an O on the end of every word. And uh, so we're going for, going for a dawny, mate. And so sitting there with my brother, and my brother says, oh, mate, he goes, you know, since you become a Christian, Flanagan hates you. Like, best friend Peter Flanagan. I'm like, oh, flip, I noticed that. And he goes, yeah, and Daniels hates you too. I'm like, Daniels, that freaking scallywag, you know. I was good to him and, and uh, then Rollsy and, you know, with a name like Rollsy, who really, but anyway, and so, you know, goes through all these and then finally he finishes and says, and you know what? I hate you too. I hate you too. And it was just, and, and I noticed, I noticed that now that I'd become a Christian, I wasn't boozing. I wasn't smoking marijuana with the guys. I wasn't partying with them. I disconnected from all of that because I'd just gotten saved. And so they decided that because I was no longer doing those things, that, that I was judging them, and so therefore they were going to make an example of me and excommunicate me. And we would take turns every week that someone would go to the, you know, buy lunch. Someone would buy lunch for all the other guys. And so this particular week I go off to buy lunch, and I come back, and I can't find my surfboard. I'm like, where's my surfboard? And they're all laughing, and then I see a cross in the sand, and they would buried my surfboard in the sand and put a cross, and they all thought it was really funny. And so there was, there was all these practical jokes. And so now my brother says to me, um, everybody hates you and I hate you too. Now, I'd only been a Christian for about two months. And when I got saved, I had such a dramatic conversion, such a powerful encounter with God on a beach. I said, God, like I was born again and I knew that God was real. And I just felt just differently. I, I just felt different. So I said this to God, stupid is a stupid does. I said, God, man, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life, but I'm never going to church and I'm never going to read the Bible. I'm just going to follow you. God's just like, oh, he goes, you, because all I knew of church was, you know, hallelujah, ah, you know, old people. And then, you know, and I knew that the, the dorks at school, you know, did Bible study while we were playing handball at lunchtime. I'm like, Bible study, handball, like what? And so, so anyway, so my, the guy who led me to the Lord gave me a Bible. I'm like, ah, oh, thanks. And I just put it in my drawer. So now after my brother says, everyone hates you and I hate you too. 
I didn't want him to see me cry. I didn't want to give him that satisfaction. So I said, well, i got one friend you don't have. He goes, yeah, who's that? I said, Jesus. And I ran, ran into my room, shut the door, and I'm, you know, and I'm feeling the, the pain of rejection. And I look onto my desk, and my Bible, instead of being in my drawer, was sitting on my desk. And it was, it was just a white vinyl, you know, like an $8 Bible, but it was sitting on my desk. And I, I felt this impression, read it. And I, and I felt it again, read it, pick it up and read it. And so I walked over and I thought I got nothing to lose. And so I'd never read the Bible. I, I don't even know where, where, where do you start? So I just flipped it open. And I just flipped it open to John 15, verse 18. We can throw that on the screen. Never read the Bible before. Just had this conversation with my brother. And then John 15 verse 18 says this. First, first words I read in red. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And I dropped that Bible like it was hot. I mean, I... It was like, doo, 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 doo. like the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And it was, it, was, it was God showing me that he was with me. It was God showing me that no matter what pain, no matter what I walk through, that God is with me. One, one of the first, one of the first uh, benefits of the word of the Lord coming to you is the word of the Lord will comfort you. The word of the Lord will comfort you. Even though there is, there, where the word of the Lord is, there is power. It also has the power to comfort. When, when we got negative doctor's reports with Zoe, when we've had negative reports from, uh, over our children, negative words that have been spoken, you, will, you cannot stop living in a world full of words. You, you, can't, you can't so silence the narrative out there Words are going to come against you. Diagnoses are going to come against you. Prognoses are going to come against you. Nasty things will be said to you, about you, slanderous things, vilification. People will say mean things, spiteful things, even in marriage. There are times where we say things to, that, that we regret afterwards. In, 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 in a world full of commentary, in a world full of words, in a world full of warfare, trying to shut those voices down is like, to, like trying to grasp the wind. Instead, what you're to do is you're to run to the word. You're, you're to run to God's word because this is what I found. When the enemy comes in like a flood and the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord always lifts up a standard against him. And there is no higher standard in the universe than the word of the Lord. When Satan came against Jesus three times, Jesus just said, it is written. It is written. It is written, and three times the devil had to back down. He tried to crucify the word. He tried to violate the word. He tried to defeat the word, but the word just kept coming back. It just kept coming back. It just coming back. And when the word got out of the tomb on the third day and now sits at the right hand of the Father, the word is back where it was in the beginning. In the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was that the word is at the, it's where everything has been restored. So our job in this world is not to parrot or mimic the narrative of this world. We are here to preach the word of the, of the Lord. Will we be persecuted? Absolutely, because the spirit of this world hates the word. But whenever we speak the word, it takes territory. 
Whenever we speak the word, it takes territory. The first level of the word of God is that the word will bring comfort. The second thing in in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, I think it's verse 8, 7 and 8. It says that uh, David had just come back from warring and he's in Ziklag and all the men, when they came back, realized their houses were burnt to the ground, smoldering, and their wives and their children were taken captive and they spoke of stoning David. So David called the priest because he was greatly distressed. He encourages himself in the Lord. So he calls Abiathar the priest and says, bring me the linen ephod. And so they bring the ephod, which is a garment the priest wears when he goes in to inquire of the Lord. And David bring, puts on the linen ephod and he goes and inquires of the Lord. And he says to the Lord, he says, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I pursue them? Will you deliver them into my hand? And then the word of the Lord comes to David in the midst of distress, in the midst of his own men wanting to kill him, in the midst of his house being burned to the ground by the enemy, in the midst of his wives and his children taken captive, in the midst of all of that, what David does is he runs to the word. And when he gets to the word, the word, word says to him, pursue, pursue for you shall surely recover all. The first verse we read, it says, by wise counsel, wage war. Can I tell you there is no wiser counsel than the word of the Lord? There is no wiser counsel. Do not wage war. Do not go into warfare till you get a word. Warfare is an expenditure of time, of resources, of energy. So there was, a, there was a, a church that had spent millions on, on a building only to find that, that they couldn't fulfill the project because of complications on the land. And so they, they walked away from a building project after spending millions in energy and warfare because they never first got a word from God. So... We are, we are taking territory. When, when I drove onto the land in San Marcos, the word of the Lord came. There, there was an encouragement from Dr. Matt. Dude, you got to see this building. Oh, my God. It's the, that, that, that was the first thing that came. But, 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 but when God said, buy the building, but as soon as I got the word of the Lord, as soon as I knew that God was with me, and when I said to God, well, I just spent $10 million on a South Campus. You, you should know we don't have any money in the bank. God says, great. Now we're back to where we were when we started this thing. You, me, and your obedience. I'm, last time I checked, I'm still God. I still own the cattle on a thousand hills as well as the thousand hills where the cattle graze. Streets of gold in, in heaven. I can, I can And so we, we jump in. So when they told us we had to redo the roof, we had to redo the walls, we had to do this, I, I never lost any sleep. Now, I've got generals around me, General Jesse Sullivan, General John Heinrichs, who could go and warfare, who could hold you know, feet to the fire. But even, even as magnificent as they were, the, the, the cost blew out. It went from a 13 to $14 million project to a $25 million project. But God was with us every step of the way because by wise counsel, wage warfare. By wise counsel, wage warfare. David, David inquired of the word of the Lord. Saul wasn't like David because Saul, was, Saul had rejected the word when the Philistines surrounded Israel, Saul went to the prophets, but there was no word with the prophets. He called the priests, and there was no word with the priests. He tried to get them with the Urim and the Thumb. There was no word. So instead, what Saul does is he goes down to uh, a, a place called Endor, and he consults a medium. He consults a witch. 
And he says, bring Samuel up from the grave. And so Samuel comes up and says, why have you disturbed me from my rest? He says, well, because God's not answering me. He says, God's not answering you because you rejected the word of the Lord. Therefore, the word of the Lord has rejected you and will not be found by you. And so because you've consulted a witch, it's not going to go well for you. You and your sons are going to die in this battle. There is nothing more sacred and there is nothing more powerful than the word of the Lord. Years ago, 10 years ago, maybe longer, um, go into a Starbucks restaurant and there's pee all over the seat and stuff all over the floor. It's, it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody needs to, oh, and, and God's like, you clean it up. I'm like, I ain't clean it up. This is not, my, they're not my poop stains. That's not my urine. That's not my, and true story, God says, if I can't get you to clean up a bathroom with the door closed and no one looking, how can I trust you to clean up the mess of a city? So to this day, I, every bathroom that I go in, if there's paper towels that aren't mine, I'll grab a dry paper towel and use that to pick it up. But I wipe down, clean the bowls. I always walk out because people don't know that that's someone else's. They just see me coming out and think, so it actually has benefit. Now, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, I, I, you know, when I'm at the, the supermarket, I can't walk past a, a shopping cart that's kind of just kind of put up on the curb. I'm, I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. God's like, yes, you did. Put it back. Oh, come on, God. Now, I don't even know. I don't even know. That may just be me. That just be a, a prick in my conscience or whatever. It may, it may not be God. It may not be the word of the Lord. But I don't want to miss. So you'll, you'll find me often collecting carts and putting them back because in a time of crises I don't want to reject the word of the Lord in a target parking lot of something that may take me an extra two or three minutes and then when I'm surrounded by Philistines and I need the word of the Lord because I over here it doesn't come the power of the word of God Today, my Bible reading, it says that at the time that kings go out to war, David stayed behind. And in the afternoon, he went up onto his rooftop and he looked out and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Saw a beautiful woman bathing. So he inquired, I said, who, who is this woman? She's beautiful. And they said, oh, that's the, the, the daughter of Eliam, but the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He says, bring her up. And she was just finishing her time of ceremonial cleansing from her cycle and she comes up and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant when she gets pregnant she sends word to him so he brings her husband Uriah back from the battle and he says go down and sleep with your wife but he refuses to he falls asleep on the steps of the palace when David gets up in the morning opens the door there's Uriah He's like, what are you doing? It's like, how could I go down to my bride while the ark of God is in a tent and Joab and the armies of Israel are fighting their enemies out on the plains? Should I go home to have a meal? Should I enjoy the warmth of my bed? Should I sleep with my wife? Far be it from me. 
So Dave was like, oh, dear. So he brings him in for three nights, gets him drunk every night, thinking he's going to go home to his wife. And when David realizes that he will not go and sleep with his wife, David says, Uriah, here, take this message back to, to, uh, to Joab. So he writes a note, rolls it up, and he takes the king's signet ring, dips it in red hot wax, and seals it. So Uriah takes his thing and he runs for the next 48 hours. He doesn't sleep. He just runs. He's exhausted. Finally, he, come, he doesn't know what he's carrying. He thinks he's carrying strategy. He thinks he's carrying the word of the Lord. This is David, the giant side. This is David, the man of God. He has no idea that when he gets there parched, exhausted, dehydrated, he gets there and he, and he hands the scroll and they bring him some water and he collapses on the ground. But he feels like, man, whatever the king has put into my hand, it must be important. That, that, what an honor. I got to eat in the palace. I got to drink in the palace. This is the greatest king ever. When, when Joab opens the scroll, what he reads is, in the heat of the battle, place Uriah right in the front and then pull everybody back to expose him so that he's vulnerable, so that he dies in battle. Uriah has no idea that what he was carrying with such urgency, with such loyalty, with such faithfulness was his own death sentence. And so they do that and Uriah is pierced with arrows and spilt. And as he's lying there and bleeding with his life fleeting from him, he thinks of his beautiful Bathsheba. He, he remembers them courting. He remembers the first time they held hands. He remembers the first time he kissed her soft lips. He remembers the, their wedding night. He remembers their home. He remembers. And he'll never hold her again, but he thinks, what an honor. What an honor to die for the greatest, the greatest king and the greatest kingdom. And he gives his life. When they bring the word to David, they said, oh, man, this has happened. And another guy was, you know, didn't pull back in time and a woman killed him. Incredible shame and reproach. He says, but don't be angry. Uriah the Hittite died. And David said, well, that's how it goes in battle. You win some and you lose some. See, David had to violate his morals. David had to violate his values. The, the reason God elevated David was because when a lion took a lamb or a bear took a little lamb from the flock, he refused to give up one little lamb. And God's like, he, he put his life on the lion and fought a lion? He put his life on the lion and fought a bear for a lamb? That's who I want over mine. But now because he was sleeping with this guy's wife, he was happy for the man to perish. The Bible says the thing that he did displeased the Lord. And so the Lord struck the child. David comes into repentance, but that transgression hits his home and devastates his home. The test for your life and my life is always remaining in the word. Always remaining in the word. Don't let anything take you out of the word. Don't let anything separate you from the word. Don't let anything disconnect you from the word. The Bible has thousands of years of human history to show you it never goes well when we, it didn't go well for Adam and Eve. It didn't go well from David. It didn't go well for his family from this. It didn't go well for anybody that disconnected from the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is 
come into the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is honor the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is receive the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is speak the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is live the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can do is carry the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we can hear is to hear the word of God. The greatest thing we can speak is speak the word of God. The greatest thing that you and I can receive is we can receive the word of the Lord. Come on, I'm out of time. Stand, stand to our feet, stand to our feet, stand to our feet. We're coming into vision builders. We're coming into vision builders. I love vision builders because if I was honest with you, vision builders is 110% proof that God is doing this. Just in case you think that I'm smarter than I am, I'm not this clever. In 15 and a half years, I'm not clever enough to raise all this money, to buy all these properties, to this, this is the hand of God. I do have the privilege, though, of shutting out all the narrative and all the noise because my baptism was if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because I chose you out of the world, that's why the world hates you. The greatest retreat I've ever found is into the word of the Lord when they said your daughter's going to be born with all kinds of chromosome deficiencies, markers for Down syndrome, it's better that you abort her. I went into my closet and I got the word of the Lord. Once I emerged from the closet, it didn't matter what the doctors, didn't matter what, with their white lab coats and with their experts and with their ultrasounds, didn't matter what they said. I got a word from a higher authority. The enemy may have come in like a flood, but I had a higher authority pushing back. <laughs> Lift your hands to heaven. The greatest thing that you can receive is God's word. The greatest thing you can submit to is God's word. The greatest thing you can align your life with is the word of the Lord. If you will be found in the word, the word will be found in you. If you will not reject, but if you will accept the word, then in a time of crisis, in a time of need, the word will come to you. Just two weeks ago, beautiful Jen Shipper, beautiful prophetess, amazing intercessor sends my beautiful bride a word. At the same time, Rex Crane calls me, sends me a word. Neither of them have any idea what's happening in our private world, but both of them bring the word of the Lord that tells us in a time where we're breaking through a wall and there's a serpent's bite on the other side of that wall, we don't need to fear the venom of the serpent because God is going to present alive that which looks like it would perish. And the word of the Lord came to me and he says, because you are unafraid to bring the word of the Lord in a hostile climate to a city that needs to hear it, you will never lack in a time of crises, me bringing the word of the Lord to you. Father, I thank you right now, Lord God, for every single person. Lord God, that every single person would so honor above everything your word, that we would lean into your word, that we would make room in our heart, David, you wrote in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Father, I thank you that the word would be elevated in every sphere and every part of our life. Father, we honor you and we love your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, you Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.